Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Jesus said the same thing in the Lord's Prayer. He is saying not just ask and seek and knock, but forgive. It should be a part of every prayer. And when we pray and, and forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins, as, as we forgive those who sinned against us, listen, he meant that, he means that. Today we have part two of Jesus in Jerusalem. Pastor Sam will look at the rest of Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 12. A big part of today's study is Jesus cleansing the temple, but there's so much more, so let's listen in. Well, the Prince of Peace entered the city of peace triumphantly. I doubt that the Roman soldiers would have been impressed, why? Well, if they'd come from Rome or been to Rome, when there was a celebration there, it was massive. It was like something you'd see in New York or in London and, and just this, this radical, uh, you know, over the top celebration. Um, when Caesar conquered somewhere or sent out people to do it, when someone was you know, brought onto the throne, which happened often because those guys like to kill the one who was serving so they could rise up. But not just that, um, when Titus conquers Jerusalem in 70 AD, he comes back, they build a mighty arch. It's still there. This massive arch, at least as tall, I'm certain more, more taller, no, just taller than this. And, uh, and about as wide as it. So, you know, 30 of you can walk through it, you know, side by side. And, and uh, that's in Rome today. So, so they would have looked at this, this group, right? You've got a bunch of people in front and behind Jesus. They're cutting down palm branches. Why we call it Palm Sunday, by the way. They're cutting down palm branches and putting them on the ground. And they're laying their clothes on the ground. And they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They would have thought, man, this is, this is like strange. The religious leaders, however, as I already mentioned, these guys were seriously stressed over the whole thing. And so um, religious leaders stressed out. The common people who followed him heard him gladly they would celebrate this event the rest of their lives. Well, Monday, the next day, as he comes uh, back to Jerusalem from Bethany, where they spent the night, he, uh, he curses a figless fig tree. He cleanses a corrupted temple, and he amazes some of the common people. The next day we read verse 12, when he had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. His, in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat from you ever again, and his disciples heard it. What we have in this fig tree, and it's sort of a two-part thing, we see a demonstration of his power. Mostly his power was used to do good, you know, to bless, give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. The lame could walk and leap and run. He raised the dead. 
But, but, but he is going to curse this fig tree and it's a picture spiritually for us because God calls Israel in the Old Testament uh, his first fruits. It's in Hosea 9. He says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on a fig tree in its first season. In Joel 1.7 and again in 1.12, they speak of Israel as God's fig tree and mention it being ruined and withered. So that's significant as we press on in a moment. Verse 15, they come to Jerusalem. Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers, the seats of those who, and the seats of those who sold doves. What's going on here? This is gentle and, you know, loving Jesus, the one with the little lamb on his, uh, you know, shoulders. And, and he's there turning over tables and taking a whip and getting people out of there. What's actually transpiring and why? Here's what's going on. What began as a public service, a, a personal ministry, people were traveling great distances. They were supposed to offer a lamb. If they couldn't afford a lamb, then it would be uh, turtle doves and such. And so they, they didn't always bring a lamb. They would purchase a lamb. But lambs got very expensive around Passover season. And then, well, when people came to make their offering in the temple, they couldn't receive coins that weren't, you know, sanctified to the temple. And so what that meant is you need to get your money exchanged and they charge exorbitant exchange rates. Uh, back to the thing of offering a sacrifice. One reason Jesus is so upset in this whole thing is these things take place in the court of the Gentiles. This is the only place a Gentile believer could approach the temple, the only part of the temple grounds where they were allowed. So what happens is these guys set up shop there, and uh, they charge exorbitant, again, rates to, to exchange the money so you could offer uh, a coin as, uh, you know, these guys are, they're becoming followers of God through the Jewish culture that the people who had met them and shared with them and loved on them, and now they're coming to the feast. Some of them were becoming Jews, or at least, you know, uh, religious Jews. They couldn't change their ethnicity. But uh, in, in the sense of all of this, what's happening is that Jesus is turning over the tables and, and chasing people out because they are abusing the people who are coming to worship the Lord, taking advantage of them. Instead of praying for them, they were praying on them. And so he's not going to put up with that. In fact, the only time you see Jesus angry is when, well, he's being misrepresented to people who are hungering to know him and his forgiveness. The other issue besides the Gentiles thing is that, that those who sold doves sold them to the poorest of people. You might remember when Jesus... Uh, was first dedicated, uh, brought into the temple, they would have offered 
a dove for him or a pair of turtle doves because they couldn't afford a lamb. It's important. So in this, this place where, where people could come who couldn't come anywhere else or get any closer, um, and there's a whole thing in the temple that's a study for another time, but, but you know, it was very limited who could go into that Holy of Holies. In fact, just one person once a year. And then the temple proper, there were Levites who ministered there and in the courts. But if you're out here, and this is, they're setting up the swap meet because you're coming to make an offering, that's going to be a problem for Jesus. And that's exactly what's going down. It's why he was so upset. He wouldn't allow, verse 16, anyone to carry wares through the temple. And he taught saying to them, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Significant, knowing they're in the court of the Gentiles. But you have made it a den of thieves. Well, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul seeks to apply, well, some of these things to us. How so? Well, Jesus is cleansing the temple courts. He's already, if you're in Christ, given you a new heart. He is cleansing your mind and mine, even as we open his word and we're refreshed by it and washed in it and challenged and corrected and convicted and there's cleansing there. He's transforming us by the renewing of our minds. And so, so what happens is Paul sees this whole picture and, and here's what he writes. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 19, if you want to jot it down. Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have from God and you are not your own? He goes on to say, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He's saying we don't belong to us once we're in Christ. We belong to him because he paid in full. He didn't just pay for our sin. He adopted us in, made us children of God, gave us everlasting life, a gift to us. And so we belong to him. That's why I'm sure that the few times he asked questions where, where you're like, well, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. He says things like, why do you say Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? All of a sudden, what can you say? Uh, yeah, why call someone Lord and then not obey him? It would be like going to work and you say, uh, you know, your boss tells you what to do and you say, sure, boss. And then you just decide to take a break and leave and play on your phone, which far too many people do this day, by the way, or these days. But anyway, you can't call. You can call him boss, but not do your job. And guess what? You'll be you'll be, you know, in the, the line looking for a new job tomorrow. So all of this to say, Jesus uh, says, why say Lord, Lord, and not obey me? Paul says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. People who connect with you are connecting with him, not because of you, but because he is in you. It's the closest they can get to God until they come to know him, is to be next to somebody who actually knows him. Well, the scribes and chief priests, verse 18, heard it and sought 
how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, he went out from the city. The religious leaders' response to the works of Jesus and the words of Jesus, the mercy, the power, all of it, was to decide we have got to take him out. He has got to die. Well, Tuesday, they find the cursed fig tree um, withered and dead. They're headed back down now, third time. Evening came, he went out of the city. They're coming back down. At least this will be the last for us today. But um, he, after all this, gives them three lessons, one on faith, prayer, and forgiveness. Uh, in the morning, we read, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree, verse 20, dried up by the roots. Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. I think this is a picture for them of what Jesus saw in Israel. You know, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. He sees a people busy, just as the Ephesian church was, and we spoke of them a week or two ago, busy doing all the right stuff. They came to the temple for the feast. They celebrated with their brothers and sisters. They made their offerings and sacrifices. They did all those things. They joined in the worship and they prayed, but they were still dead in trespasses and sin. They were still inside full of dead men's bones. And Jesus sees that. And the fig tree being a symbol of Israel, him cursing it. He didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to curse. He came to save. But he's, he's giving them a visual. Man, that thing just withered right away. That's what he saw inside of those people. Listen, a fruitless fig tree it is a useless fig tree. And John tells us something. Well, he speaks to the disciples, but it definitely applies to us. And then we have our last little section here. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. He's saying, you got to stay connected. You can't disengage. You can't really sever yourself from the head and not end up dead. And so uh, we know you're not going to be able to do that. Jesus says, he won't leave. He ain't moving out. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The Holy Spirit has sealed us until the day of redemption. But we can disobey the Lord. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can walk in disobedience. And so in the midst of all that, he's just saying, don't you get it? I'm the vine. You're the branches. You've got to stay connected or you can do nothing. In John 15, 16, he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Some want that to mean you didn't have a choice. That's not what it's saying. You didn't choose me. I chose you first, he's saying. He initiates, we reciprocate. We had a choice. We have a choice. Are we going to love him and serve him and love others as he created us to do? You didn't choose me, but I chose you and ordained you, appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain in whatever you ask the Father in my name, that he may give you. 
that perfectly segues into Mark eleven twenty two because here Jesus is talking about the power of persevering in prayer. Earlier, he said, ask and seek and knock. And we learned the tense is meant ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Here, Jesus answers and says to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that these things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you may receive them and you will have them. Two extremes around a statement like this from our Lord. One focuses too much on the you can have it if you ask for it. And, uh, and while it's true that he's saying that, it's not a, hey, here's my, my MasterCard, go charge whatever you want. Um, because we know from 1 John, if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have the petition we have made of him. So, so I don't want to, though, swing the pendulum too far the other direction. There are far too many people saying, hey, just name it and claim it. I think that for a while it was called blab it and grab it, which I, I like all those just because I'm a rhymer and, and a writer. But the point is this, that, that Jesus isn't saying you can have anything you want, but you will have everything you need and everything others need. Ask and you'll receive seek and you'll find knock and the door will be open he's saying have faith in God believe ask believe and you will receive here's how this plays out you know that verse it says delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart here's how this plays out if the pendulum swings too far to the I can have it because I said it you you want a Porsche or whatever you want. I don't know what I don't know even if Porsches are cool anymore, but but I don't care at my age. And uh, so but here's what I do know. You could say, God, I want a Porsche and I'm reading your word. And it says, if I just ask and I believe I'm going to get my Porsche. I did this with the Lamborghini recently. I actually got it, but it's only this big. It's sitting on my piano. And so the, the, the point is, though, we can swing the pendulum too far and say, well, if I want it, I'll get it. And here's something interesting about delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Here's how that actually plays out. If I delight myself in the Lord, if I understand that I'm to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to me. What happens is I delight myself in the Lord and I seek first his kingdom and his will and he changes the desires of my heart. So it isn't even I want this thing. It's Lord, what do you want? What can I do? How can I play a, 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 a significant part in these latter years of my life and in these latter years of planet Earth as we know it? How can I? better impact people for you. When you're praying that God would use you, you can be sure he'll answer that prayer. When you're praying for his forgiveness, you can be sure he'll answer that prayer. When you're just praying for more stuff, I'm pretty sure God isn't 
obligated in any way to say, oh yeah, you need more stuff. I mean, you're Americans, you know? It's like, how could you be happy? You really should go visit Africa where one of our missionaries is serving, you know, they're in Kenya or in Ethiopia or in other portions or, or India and or just go to Mexico. Well, maybe Mexico's not safe, but but go somewhere. Oh, Juarez, Mexico. That's where you can go. Very not safe there, but we always come back alive. So um, anyway. Whenever you stand praying, he goes on to say, if you have anything, chapter 11, verse 25, against anyone, forgive him. Listen, if you're praying today, when you're praying today at our communion time, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. When we take the bread and the cup, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Why? That your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. For if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Jesus said the same thing in the Lord's Prayer. He is saying not just ask and seek and knock, but forgive. It should be a part of every prayer. And when we pray and, and forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins as, as we forgive those who sinned against us. Listen, he meant that. He means that. So then they came again to Jerusalem as he was walking in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders came to him and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? Listen, this would be an okay question to ask if they were at all sincere. They were supposed to be watching out to make sure false prophets didn't come in and, and teach something contrary to the word. Of course, Jesus never did that. Or, or false prophets came in working some kind of wonder and draw people away from the Lord into idolatry. He wouldn't ever do that. So if they were sincere, that would have been great. He doesn't feel an answer is due them because, well, they're not sincere. Jesus answers and says in verse 29, I'll ask you one question, then answer me. I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. They reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people. For all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. They decided they couldn't answer because if they did, well, they would be either admitting that they knew John was sent from heaven. I mean, who calls everyone to repentance except someone God sends? who stands in the presence of Herod and says, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife repent, only to find himself incarcerated and ultimately beheaded. Who but John? And listen, he pointed to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Why didn't you believe him? Jesus is saying, you, they knew John was from heaven, but they weren't going to say so. He says, well, then I have no reason to tell you anymore. Lord, I pray for those who are in such a place today. By what authority does Jesus do these things? Great question. What do we say? We're to agree with the word of God and the recorded claims of Jesus. In Matthew 28:18, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. However, there are some religions in our day and age who do not want to give all authority to Jesus, yet they still profess to believe in God. Well, since you can't simultaneously believe in God and think him a liar, you must conclude that anyone who does not believe Jesus has all authority does not believe in the God of the Bible. They have created some different God, no matter what they might claim. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.